Good evening, everyone. My name is Simon Barrett, and this is our uh, introductory um, broadcast of Journey into Justice. I have uh, long been interested in the subject of the law, though I honestly uh, can admit that no way could I put up with uh, the years in law school uh, reading books on the subject. So I'm, I was, I am very excited about this series and on the quest to explore the legal world, I'm joined by attorney and author Mark Bellow. Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We, we finally got together, Simon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it has been a challenge, but uh, here we are. Um, I, I, I think our um, listeners um, would probably like to learn a bit, a bit about yourself. Um, they, they know enough about me. You know, hell, I'm, I'm, I'm banging their eardrums uh, every, uh, every few days. So, Mark, tell us who you are. Who is Mark Bellow? Well, I'm a, uh, I was born and raised in the, in the Detroit, Michigan area, where I still live. I'm a father of four, a grandfather of eight. Uh, I practiced law in Michigan for 42 years. I practiced primarily in the personal injury tort liability field. Um, after about 22, 23 years, I started a business called Lawsuit Financial. And Lawsuit Financial is a company that provides um, cash advances to plaintiffs involved in personal injury cases so that uh, a plaintiff can better survive the time it takes for a lawsuit to resolve and for them to get compensation. Uh, a person uh, is injured. A person can't work. Insurance companies take advantage of that. Uh, something we can talk about today if you want. Um, and uh, their behavior causes financial desperation for a plaintiff, and we try to even the odds a bit. Uh, much later in life, uh, based mainly because because mainly uh, a, a case that I handled uh, touched me in a way that I thought it would make a good novel, one that I believe you've read. Um, I decided that one day I would write a book, and I wrote a book called The Trail of Faith, and that book was the beginning of what became the Zachary Blake legal thriller series. And I have since written uh, two more novels. There's one more on the way, and there's two more in, in progress uh, in, in the Zachary Blake series. Uh, I graduated uh, with a degree in English literature from a local college, Oakland University. Got my law degree in 77. Uh, worked as a lawyer for almost 25 years and then started doing these other two things I've described to you. And that essentially fills you in on who and who I am professionally. Where did your uh, interest in the law come from? You know, did, you know, at age five, did you say, Mom, I'm going to become a lawyer? It was actually the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> the the um my my mother was the typical Jewish mother. Uh 
my father um, uh, did not graduate uh, college. Most baby boomers, like myself, I don't know exactly how old you are, but I but I'm a boomer, and uh, most of us um, were encouraged and sought to do better than our parents. My father went to college but never graduated. His belief was that the ticket to success is an education. My mother was the typical Jewish mother who said, my son, the doctor. Uh, Science and I didn't agree very much, so it became my son, the lawyer. Um, And she basically pushed me, uh, both of them, but more her, uh, to get an education. Um, an English degree didn't really uh, result in much that I felt could be transformed into a career other than perhaps a journalist, which you'd have to go to journalism uh, school for, or, or a writer of some sort, and then I didn't feel I had the talent. So I started thinking about law school, uh, and my mother pushed me in that direction, and um, I, I'm not I'm not like some guys where, uh, oh my God, all my life I wanted to be a lawyer. But once I became a lawyer, and once I started representing people against uh, large corporate entities and/or insurance companies, it became very clear to me that the system was rigged in favor of large corporations and insurance companies. And I've made a mission of my the mission in my life to make sure that the little guy is is represented and and that's what my practice has always been about. That's what lawsuit financial is about, and that's what the Zachary Blake Legal Thriller series is about. <laughs> that that that's really interesting. Um, I've watched a. Um, a, a John Grisham movie a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a uh, a young lawyer um, fighting a huge uh, uh, insurance company uh, and winning and losing in the uh, same breath. I, I believe the movie's called The Rainmaker. I, I don't know. If right. I don't know if you've that's seen a gris- it. That's, that's, that's based on a Grissom novel. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm, actually, while we're uh, talking about um, movies and stuff, there, there was a, a, a wonderful TV series. I, I believe it ran from... Uh, the late 80s into the early 90s. It, it, it was called The Paper Chase, uh, and it starred John Houseman as uh, a, a really, uh, I won't say mean, but um, pretty demanding um, law professor <laughs> teaching his class of would-be lawyers Boy, he made it look uh, like a pretty grim uh, uh, undertaking to learn the law. Um, Was law school really that bad? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, They basically basically, uh, use a professor like uh, the character played by Houseman, um, to intimidate a student into proving that he can handle himself uh, um, under pressure, that he can think on his feet, uh, that he won't allow himself to verbally get beat up by his opponent or a judge. Um, it's it's called the Socratic method, and you basically stand up and get abused by the professor. Um, <laughs> it is a it, um, if 
you recall, it, it was it was the, the version I saw was a movie, not a not a television show. There might have been a television show based on it, but if you recall, yes. he he basically told the student to uh, he he offered him a dime and told him to call his father or his parents and uh, let them know that there are serious doubts that he's going to complete law school after he answered the first <laughs> question that the professor asked. Uh, and and almost every almost every law school, because uh, I've heard stories from others, and I and I know there was one of mine, has a uh, professor like that who either intimidates people to quit, or uh, grades so difficult, grades so hard that people fail. Um, my law school class started with 95 people and graduated 30. Wow. So that will tell that will tell you a bit about uh, the way law school is um, <laughs> the, way, the way law school is. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm guessing you didn't recommend uh, law school to any of your kids. I don't recommend law school unless you're serious about the law. Um, I, I would frankly not recommend it to people who did what I did and said, it worked out for me, but I don't recommend it. Uh, unless you're serious about it, I wouldn't do it. Uh, for me, it was a fallback, if you will. Um, I grew into it. Uh, I grew to love it. I grew to, to I, I know it's an important uh, career and, and function. People need lawyers. We're, we're ridiculed. We're joked about. Everybody's got a lawyer joke. Even I've got some good lawyer jokes. But but um, <laughs> it, it's one of it's one of those situations where uh, everybody jokes about lawyers until they need one. Um, right, and uh, lawyers provide a, a, a very important function in society, especially in the situations we're talking about. Um, most injury victims, uh, even if you take a simple auto accident where it looks like uh, Simon gets into an accident with Mark and uh, it's Simon's fault, of course, because Mark's a good driver, um, <laughs> and and Mark sues Simon. The truth is, Mark doesn't sue Simon. Mark sues Simon's insurance company, and the insurance company doesn't want to pay Mark anything because they like collecting premiums. They don't like paying out benefits. So Mark has a battle royal on his hands trying to get this insurance company to do the right thing. Um, anytime a client resolves a case or an injured person resolves a case without a lawyer, that person is most likely getting screwed. They think, oh, well, I'm saving the third. I'm saving the amount of money I have to pay the lawyer. Oh, uh, uh, the right. insurance company is the, the adjuster is a very nice guy. Um, oh, I mean, you can think of a thousand excuses why you want. Oh, I need the money right away. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why somebody might do that, but if that person does that, he's going to get less than he deserves. Right. In the criminal setting, in a criminal setting, obviously. Um, your life, your very freedom, perhaps your life is at stake. It's not something that you fool around with. Uh, criminal lawyers a, are extremely isn't, important. Isn't there a famous uh, uh, saying? Um, a person that represents himself is a fool. I'm sorry. Say that again. A person that represents himself 
is a fool. Correct. The way I've heard that is the person who represents himself as a fool for a client. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. You know, right. <laughs> or, or you could reverse that and say a fool for a lawyer. basis. 
And you referenced the Rainmaker, and that's what the Rainmaker was about. It was about the little guy taking on, uh, I think it was a pharmaceutical company, if I'm not mistaken, where the drug caused cancer. And they were determined to not let that get out. And this one little guy, played by Matt Damon, in the movie, I forget his name in the book, but Kristen wrote a great book, um, and it depicted what we're talking about, this this idea that David takes on Goliath, and if you don't crush him quickly enough or hard enough, he might actually beat you. Um, and that's essentially the story of the Rainmaker. Uh, right. The myth, the myth is that people are so happy and that people are getting millions of dollars for minor injuries. And the fact is that people are not litigious. They don't even think about suing. Uh, only when they're seriously hurt do they seek to recover damages. And in those settings, they, they've, got, they've got the burden of proof. They've got to prove damages, and they've got to prove liability in order to collect. People are more reluctant to sue than they are uh, even when a serious accident happens. But in this, in this setting, these two kids got molested by a priest. One of the kids uh, came to me too late. I actually filed the case on the birthday where the statute of limitations would have run on the second young man. Uh, the first young man was shut out. He couldn't pursue the case. Uh, in my book, both boys pursued the of uh, the case, uh, the church, not identified, by the way, as the Catholic Church, it was just a church and a priest, and I let the reader draw their own conclusions. Um, uh, but it tells the story of how Goliath behaves and how David perseveres. Uh, and it basically, uh, the other thing it does is it gives the reader a sense of how the legal system handles these kinds of cases and the obstacles that are put in the way of the lawyer and the clients in order to be successful. And what I tried to do was describe how these cases feel. Uh, it's a fictional account. It's not actually the way it happened. I create a, uh, for instance, I create a fictional um, organization within the church uh, who has the sole function of covering up uh, and preventing liability in any way possible. And they do all kinds of dastardly things to make sure that serious damage doesn't happen to the church. Uh, that organization does not exist to my knowledge, but I can tell you uh, as someone who experienced it that it sure felt that way. It felt like I was dealing with the CIA, the way I had to dig and prod and uh, investigate almost every aspect of that case to, to find witnesses, to find prior incidents, to uncover documents. Uh, to uncover previous court cases that got sealed. They actually paid extra money to victims to prevent the previous cases from being exposed to subsequent victims. And the other thing that, uh, and, and this is not fiction, this is true, the other thing that the church did, uh, and I'm speaking of the Catholic Church here, is they transferred offending priests. Even if they were convicted of a crime, as my priest was, they got transferred to another community, and they didn't tell the new community about the prior incidents that the priest was guilty of. So all of that kind of dastardly stuff is um, fills my novel, and basically let the reader know uh, how the system handles these kinds of cases. 
That was, that was book one, the Trail of Faith. Book two. Be- before you before I, you I, move on, be- before you move on, um, I, I want to ask um, a, a question. It, it's it's yep. deep and philosophical, and I'm I don't know uh, what the answer is, or even if there is an answer. Um, I've been told that um, people that are abused uh, when they're young um, tend to become abusers themselves. Um, True. Right. Do, Do you think that that statement is valid when talking about uh, uh, that the Catholic Church or indeed any other church uh, that, that has been involved with... Uh, or, or the Boy Scouts or, Je- or, or the Boy Scouts or Jeffrey Epstein or, or uh, anybody who preys on children. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So... You, you think there is a correlation? Oh, I know there is. Uh, I, I've done some research on it. Uh, I know victims who have become perpetrators. Uh, it is a real phenomenon. I mean, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and I can't tell you what the explanation is for it, but I know it's true. Many years ago, well, probably 20 years ago, um, I was living in San Diego, and I had a pretty eclectic uh, set of friends. We were all around the same age, and there was this lady, um, I'll just call her L. Um we didn't see her every day, um, but she'd turn up uh, mostly on Fridays at the bar, you know, and regale us with her um, antics. Um, yeah, she was in her early forties, and she'd like okay. to control the bars for uh, young boys, you know. Of legal age, and she'd take them home and have a way with them, and uh, then throw them out. Get out of here! <laughs> I'm done with you. And it, it wasn't until oh, months later I sat down with her. It was just two of us, and. She told me her story. She had been sexually abused as a kid and just felt the need to um, you know, find, find yep. young kids. I, she was by no means a pedophile. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, that, that was the way she was. It's kind of it's kind of like wrong. I said. I it's like I said. I Sorry? can't explain the phenomenon. I can't explain the phenomenon. I'm not I'm not a psychiatrist, but I but it is it is absolutely a uh, true phenomenon. And it, it not, I, I mean obviously everybody's different. There are people who have uh, been abused and live normal lives. There are people who have killed themselves. There are people who have uh, no issues or serious issues. There are people like the lady you're describing. Um, uh, Everybody's different. Treatment helps. um, That's for sure. Uh, Long-term treatment, depending on on how serious the abuse is. Uh, But if the question you asked me was, is this something that actually happens? And the answer is absolutely yes. 
what a case like that could do. But is there a third is there a third option? Um, they create a uh, a reasonable drug, but they know it's abusable. Well, you know, like I said, the question uh, is, and, and again, I, I, I must confess, and I want the listeners to know, I do not know all of the facts and circumstances of that case. Uh, opioids are a huge problem in America and elsewhere, and apparently... Um, the public did not get the message of how habit-forming, addictive these medications are. Is that the manufacturer's fault? Is that the doctor's fault? Is it a combination of the two? I suspect it's more a combination of the two. But the point I'm making is the average person takes a narcotic pain reliever post-surgery, let's say, for a very serious problem. They're told that it's a narcotic. They're told that it's only for use for a week, let's say, and they convince the doctor to re-prescribe it. They get it on the black market. They get addicted to it, and they take more and more and more until bad things happen. Maybe the manufacturer did not get the word out enough to either the medical community or the public that this drug was habit forming. And that seems to be what happened in Oklahoma. Um, there's a there's a doctor in uh, in Florida who was put in jail for making money off addicting people and over-prescribing opioids to them. And to this day, he won't admit his wrongdoing. He thinks he was doing a public service, making millions of dollars over-prescribing and addicting people to medication. Um, that's the I, I doctor side I, of this. I can't, I, I can't remember... Um, where this was or uh, exactly when it was, but, but there's also a case of a doctor um, uh, running a rehab uh, clinic um, right. and prescribing uh, methadone. And, um, That's the guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, now, again, again, you know, methadone... It's a dangerous drug, right? Right. But we all know. But, but we all know it's a dangerous drug. I think. I think where the where the where the manufacturer went wrong in the in the um, opioid situation is in not impressing upon the public how serious this stuff is, and that's where they went wrong, and that's why they lost the case. But I, I, again, I just, I just wonder um, whether uh, I, I, I don't, you know. Again, I, I'm, I, I'm happy in, in a sense, but I just wonder whether they got it right. As a as a plaintiff lawyer, as a plaintiff lawyer, I always like to see the plaintiffs win. This isn't a this isn't a plaintiff David versus Goliath case. This is the state of Oklahoma uh, pursuing Johnson and Johnson. They represent the people, but they're suing uh, for the cost to the system of addicted citizens. Which is a noble 
endeavor. No question. Indeed. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the clock, and I, I think it's time for some absolutely shameless commercialization, and I do mean shameless. Um, Mark, where can people find you, and where can they find your books? Well, shamelessly, uh, they can find me at markambello.com, which is the website for my books. Uh, the website for my legal funding service is lawsuitfinancial.com. Um, and again, I, like I said earlier, there are three, there are two more books uh, and one more on the way. Uh, and, and two in the works. All of my books, like I said earlier, are headline grabbers. Uh, the second book, I didn't know, I didn't know actually, Simon, that I had a second book in me. And here I am almost six books later. But, but the second book is, was based on the 2016 election. Um, I, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. Um, and I probably just cost myself a bunch of book sales, but, but um, I started to, when I when I watched uh, all of the um, stuff <laughs> back in 2016, I started yeah. to think, <laughs> my 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 God, really? Uh, well, you it's anything other than stuff. <laughs> well, I started, I started to I started to think. Uh, I, I heard I heard a, a presidential candidate say that Mexico is sending their worst. They're they're bringing crime. They're bringing drugs, and quote some unquote are good might be good people. I heard him say that. Then I heard him talk about a Muslim ban, and I as as a as a minority citizen, uh, as someone who has relatives who were persecuted in Eastern Europe uh, during World War II and during the Holocaust, um, I take stuff like that very seriously. And when someone starts talking about a, a race or religion of people and talks about banning them or talks about sending them back, uh, I take that very seriously. So I started to think to myself, this is back in 2016 now, not today. What would it look like if a bigot got elected president of the United States? And the book is about a fictional president who implements a Muslim ban and then frames a young Muslim woman for murder uh, the white supremacist who bombs her mosque ends up dead, and she is framed for murder. And the um, cheerleader for her conviction and the man who tries to deport her parents is the President of the United States. And that's what the second book is about. The third book is a follow-up to the second book and uh, also deals with uh, the police and the hunt for a white supremacist and uh, a um, an interesting cop versus cop plot where a small-town police force tries to stick it to a uh, big city police force. Uh, when a uh, member of their community ends up missing. Um, uh, that's the third book. The book I'm, the book I'm about to release is uh, based on some of the uh, police, citizen, cop-on-black shootings that have occurred around the country. Um, uh, that book is 
virtually done. I, I just haven't released it yet. Uh, putting the finishing touches on it, for lack of a better way to say it. Uh, the interesting thing about that book is the reader gets a glimpse of how both the criminal system would deal with that, whether the cop is going to be charged. Uh, if he's charged, how, how does the criminal system handle that? Um, and then also the civil system, uh, who can the victim sue, uh, the police, does the city cover the individual cop, does the uh, citizen sue the police force, does the citizen sue the city that, it, that the police force is in, uh, how does that uh, civil action play out, and it's a very interesting look at, at both systems in a situation like that. The fifth book, which I'm uh, completing soon is a school shooting situation, kind of describing the same uh, kinds of things that I just described about the cop shooting. Um, how would the legal system handle that? Uh, how does it deal with a despicable gun manufacturer? Uh, how does uh, a civil lawyer collect um, for a victim in, an, in a situation where most gun crimes uh, um, are immune, most, most gun manufacturers do not have liability for the actions of a third-party criminal. So there are exceptions to that. Uh, George W. Bush passed a law back in the early 2000s that prevented people from, and this is something that will also be a theme of our of our time together. Uh, there's all kinds of laws, I mean, that prevent people from suing, that prevent people from collecting sizable amounts, that restrict people's access to court, that provide immunity to corporations and governments. Uh, there's all kinds of of barriers and impediments placed on victims. Uh, uh, roadblocks in 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 our way before somebody actually gets justice, and um, those are themes that I that I'd like this show to to expose uh, so that the public oh, knows. Absolutely, um, what I, I am is in, happening out there. I'm in lockstep with you. Um, and the and the, the last book that I'm playing with, I, I've written about 150 pages. Is you'll, you'll recognize this. <laughs> a a, a uh, young law student um, molests or uh, attempts to rape a young college student. The case goes away because he's very wealthy, and 20 years later, the law student becomes a candidate for the Supreme Court, and the woman comes forward and tries to prevent the candidate from being confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. Uh, that is that that is the theme of my. Uh, last book and then uh, I'm, I'm starting to work on a, on a seventh book but I I, I, I don't want to disclose uh, right. it's too it's too early in the process it, 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 it's again ripped from the headlines I, I will oh, say okay. that, it, that it's related it's related to the country's immigration problem <laughs> okay um the bottom line. The bottom line here, and I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you talk because uh, I'm rambling. But the bottom line here is that something pisses me off, and I write about it. Yes, I, I, I kind of gathered that. Okay, um, you, uh, you mentioned you know a, a book um, talking about. Um, uh, 
woman coming forward to uh, you know try and stop a confirmation. I mean, clearly right. we, uh, we 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 know we we know which supreme. Well, actually, we don't. Um, there there are two supremes, Kavanaugh and uh, the old guy. Um, they they both had uh, women on their case, and you're really, you're, you're speaking of Clarence Thomas. Oh yes, yeah, good old Clarence. The 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 Clarence Thomas situation. Yes. Um, yeah. Politics and the law. Um, I I think it's a truly ugly subject. Um. I think the first time I heard about politics and um, the law clashing was 2000. Um, The infamous uh, hanging Chad story. And, you know, I followed it. And I went along with it. and, And I went, Okay, well, that was fun. You know, hopefully um, politics and the law uh, do not uh, cross paths again anytime soon. But here we are. I I have to tell you that politics, politics, politics and law cross paths every day. And and you know this this may be a good place for us to to um, start winding this down. I, I I don't know how much time we have, but but uh, what I will say about what you what you just mentioned is that again I I, I referenced what civil law typically is. It's typically a David versus Goliath endeavor. And when you when you look at the political arena and you look at Goliath, where Goliath seeks shelter, where large corporations and insurance companies seek the despicable protections that they get to screw citizens, they seek it from politicians. And they seek it in... Uh, measures called court reform, and they go to state legislatures, and uh, like Bush did in in the early 2000s with the guns, they get legislation passed that restricts people's access to courts, that restricts people's access to justice, that restricts people's access to fairness, and Actual laws get passed that say, for instance, a person who was seriously hurt by a drug, let's say. I'll give you, I'll give you the worst example of, of what I'm describing. In Michigan, a Republican governor by the name of John Engler lobbied the state legislature and passed a law that said if the FDA approves a drug, a Michigan citizen cannot file a lawsuit and successfully recover damages if the drug turns out to be bad. Hmm. Think about that. Oh, everybody I, else. I, I, I have. Everybody um, else. That, that sounds like lobbying. Everybody else in the country can but not a Michigan resident. (laughs) Now, we we discussed earlier the opioid crisis. I presume an opioid's a bad drug. Otherwise, Oklahoma wouldn't have recovered $650 million from Johnson & Johnson. Every opioid that Oklahoma sued on was FDA approved. They weren't illegal drugs. They were legal drugs. In Michigan, 
You can't pursue that case. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's that's what I'm talking about. That's the intersection between politics and the law. Okay. And there, I'm, there I'm are many to, more uh, examples. I'm, I'm going to throw a, 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 a wrench in the uh, in the cogs. Um, what about uh, tobacco? Big tobacco. I mean, they they, they ran. Uh, that that campaign for decades. Yeah, you know, nicotine's not um, <laughs> you know, not addictive. And guess what I saw uh, earlier this week? Um, there's been a death, and the uh, likely cause of death is vaping. It, is yeah, you're going to be the you're going to see litigation over over vaping. It, it's basically a, a nicotine introduction system, especially to young people. And, and while the manufacturers are trying to downplay uh, the fact that they're making the products attractive to children, um, the fact is that they're making the products Attractive to children. Uh, by the way, uh, I, I, you, you mentioned the tobacco cases. The interesting thing about the tobacco cases is that the law did a very interesting thing with the tobacco cases. They didn't just say anybody who smokes gets money from tobacco, from big tobacco. What ended up happening is they created classes of people. And if you started smoking and became addicted before serious warnings and the notice of a serious health hazard started, then you were able to successfully pursue tobacco cases. If you started smoking after everybody knew how dangerous it was, you were either shut out or you were unable to get anything in the way of serious compensation. And those um, entities that successfully pursue tobacco for the younger generation are usually the healthcare industry because they're kind of innocent victims, third-party victims in what I would call a healthcare crisis. Uh, the effects of tobacco have a big impact on the cost of medical care in this country, as you can probably imagine. Oh, indeed. Um, so Mark, the idea, the idea that you know, the idea that that Mark, smokers who did this to the themselves collect clock, money is a myth. Mark, the uh, clock is uh, ticking down. Um, we're, we're going to go off air very soon. Um, I, I'd love to get. You can tell your, I don't. Uh, like to, you can tell I don't like to talk, Simon. Right. <laughs> I, I'd I'm love very, to get I'm your. Very shy. Uh, I, okay. Remember that wicked woman from uh, uh, the green room? She's back. Um, okay. Uh, we're out of here in 30 seconds, so I'm going okay. to give you the last word. Um, have you had fun? I've had fun. I look forward to doing it next week and the week after and for many weeks to come. I, I, I enjoyed it immensely. Hope we can get a lot of people listening to the program and learning uh, their rights. Uh, is there is there a possibility that we can get some call-in on, on this? Or? Absolutely. Is there a Because I'd love to be able to educate people on what's going on. on. <laughs> okay. This is Simon Barrett wishing everyone a happy and 
healthy, uh, safe week. We'll be back again with another edition of Journey into Justice uh, next week. Same day, same time. Till then, goodbye. Bye, everybody.